Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about how to be discerning, how to be discerning. Han read out of Psalm 119, verse 65 and 66, where David is asking, Lord, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Uh, he was asking for discernment. And then we also see in Philippians 1, verse 9 and 10, discernment is really important for us as a Christian as we follow Christ. Discernment, as a matter of fact, by J. Adams. J. Adams said this, and I quote, discernment is to separate God's ways from all other ways. Then we have Charles Spurgeon who said, made this famous quote, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. So to discern is to look at something and then to measure it against Scripture. The ability to take, for instance, a philosophy, an ideology, or even theology, and then to me measure it against God's Word to see if, in fact, it is the truth or not. How many of you know deception is when something looks true but isn't? When it looks real but isn't? Have you ever bought something that was a knockoff, right? <laughs> you bought this beautiful handbag. You thought it was coach, but it wasn't. That is called deception. And uh, discernment is what guards us from deception. This is why it's so important to educate our understanding with the actual scriptures, with doctrine. Because without it, it will be impossible to exercise discernment. Now, being educated in the Bible or in Bible doctrine is the only way that we can think God's thoughts after Him. Many people today look subjectively to search for what they believe God is thinking, and then they go after it. But as I always say, you cannot be led by your feelings and the presence or the Spirit of God both at the same time, because for most part, God's leading or the Spirit's leading is contrary to what the flesh desires. That's why the Bible says if somebody slaps you, what do you feel like doing? Slapping them back. What does the Bible say to do? Turn the other cheek. It tells you to go contrary to your feelings, right? And so it's not possible to be led by the Spirit and by your emotions both at the same time. You actually have to learn to discern what God's will is and what your desire is. If you can discern between the two, then we are 50% there. So being educated in Bible doctrine is the only possible way you and I can in fact think God's thoughts after Him. So to discern is to have the ability of making distinctions between two things. Now, we've lost this term discernment. It's become a spooky spiritual term where people have this idea that they have a superpower to know what's true and what's not. It's really Gnostic at its roots, where Gnosticism is the heresy that the early church fathers had to, had to argue against 
where people actually believed that they could subjectively discover truth. They had an extra biblical truth, a, a truth that they could find outside of scriptures that is divine and was exclusive to them. It was divine, exclusive to them, and it was extra-biblical. That's Gnosticism. And the early church fathers fought that, especially the apostle John, as a matter of fact, wrote against Gnosticism. And discernment has evolved into modern-day Gnosticism, where people believe they have the subjective ability to discern between right and wrong, when in fact, the only way to discern between right and wrong is if you can think God's thoughts after Him regarding an ideology, regarding a policy, regarding a, a theology, regarding an opinion, a public opinion, or regarding a thought like, you, you know, we, we talked about all of those different enemies of God. How would you know humanism was wrong unless you had scriptures to measure it by? How would you know Marxism was wrong unless you had scriptures to measure it by? Now, let's just go beyond that. How would you know pedophilia was wrong unless you had scriptures to measure it by? Somebody said, oh, no, that's ridiculous. No, it ain't. <laughs> if it was a consensus theory of truth, you can just put all the pedophiles into one state and vote on it. But, you see, that's why there is no moral argument from the person who believes everything came out of nothing and we are simply just a blob of goo that eventually evolved into something. If, if that is a person's worldview, then what is wrong with pedophilia if everybody agrees on it? The consensus theory of truth is not a way of discovering truth. That's just simply saying... Most people are wrong when they vote on one thing. When in fact, Scripture is where we have to land. Scripture is what we have to hold on to in regards to what is true and what is false. What is good and what is evil. The only thing that can tell you the difference, the only way to discern between those two is Scripture. So, to discern is to have the ability of making distinctions between two things. And I'm sure you will agree with me. This generation has lost the ability to discern. And the reason for it is, other than their own subjective emotions, they have nothing to use as a standard or as a measuring stick for truth. How are they going to discover truth? They have nothing but their feelings, their opinions, their experiences, or the consensus theory of truth. Think of it for a moment. To, to discern is to know the difference between two things, right? Things like good and evil, as I mentioned, right from wrong, justice from injustice. How do we know that? We go to scriptures and we allow scriptures to help us slice through the middle of that thing. But to discern is to know the difference between two things, like for instance, knowing the difference between male and female. If you lose all kind of discernment, you wouldn't even know the difference between the two. How about the difference between being a child and being an adult? This is huge today, and you might not think about it yet, but I just want to bring this to you. Because we can no longer discern the difference between a child and an adult, what we do is we allow children 
or we allow adults to act like children and we treat children like they are adults. That's why the Bible says, do not provoke your children unto anger. In other words, don't allow your child who is now becoming an adult and treat, don't, don't just keep on treating them like a child. It's provoking them, right? Don't you get provoked when somebody treats you like a child? Yeah, that's why. Because that person has no discernment. And so we treat each other like children, and we ought not, because, you know, we actually believe in the thing about this, this idea of growing up and maturing and becoming an adult. Now, guess what we went and did? We went and added what's called adolescence. So we have babyhood, childhood, adulthood. We go like, ah, we don't want to grow up yet. So we're going to throw in adolescence right in there. And so now we have created this window of time where a growing human being can have the responsibilities of a child and the freedoms of an adult. It's called adolescence. <laughs> that's the time frame when you don't have to really grow up even though you are grown up. Discernment helps you slice right between the differences between these things. Like, for instance, political, a political figure and his policies. Do you know when it comes to voting, the number one single deciding factor among Americans is not policy that that person holds. It's that person's likability. How much do I like that person? I don't. Therefore, I can't vote for them, even though I agree with their policies. Or this person can't stand their policies, but man, are they nice. I'll vote for them. You see, that is a lack of what? Discernment. Can't make distinctions. That's why people struggle in decision making because they have no discernment. How about the difference between disagreement and argument? You know, like when you disagree with somebody and they think you're arguing with them. No, I'm just disagreeing with you. I'm not arguing. Or how about the difference between disagreeing with somebody and hating them? Today, you can't even disagree with somebody without them thinking you're hating them because they don't have discernment. There's a difference between me disagreeing with you and hating you, right? But people can't make the distinctions because they have no discernment. How about the difference between feelings and thoughts? Feelings and thoughts. People don't know the difference. For instance, you are not your thoughts. They can't make the distinction. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean that's who you are. And feelings are not the same as thinking. You can feel one way, but think a different way. And you should. You should think scripturally no matter how you feel. But we can't, we can't make these distinctions because we've lost the ability to discern. How about the difference between you and your desires? You are not your desires. People have, people have lost this truth. Uh, Steve, it's too cold in here, just one degree. How about the difference between you and your desires? You are not your desires. I'm wondering about this. Like, have everybody ever brought this whole idea up to, you know, w when a man says, like, and I've got to just bring this because this is actually the most, the clearest example I can come up with. If a man says, well, I, I'm attracted to this other guy, God made me gay. What about men who are attracted to women they're not married to? 
Did God make you an adulterer? Well, why can't we agree on that? If, if your desire determines who God made you to be, then did your desire for, the woman, for a woman that's married to another man, did your desire for her make you the person God wants you to be with? Or did he make her the person God wants you to be with? It's like people's brains have fallen out of their heads because they've lost discernment, right? You are not your feelings. You are not your thoughts. There are distinctions made. You are not your desires. You may have had a desire to be a cat at the age of five, but that doesn't mean that you are one. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was standing in line right here at Portillo's, and there was a furry in front of me. But guess what? They had a wonderful, uh, they had a wonderful salad. I actually tried to see what she was ordering. She ordered a salad. And I was going to say, kitties don't eat salads. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a cat eat a salad, but there was one right there. <laughs> How about this? The difference between what is important and what is essential. Oh my goodness, this is so big for me. What is important and what is essential? Because people have lost the ability to discern between one thing and another, they make, they make everything important to them. I mean, you know, people can... People will throw the baby out with the bathwater. They will throw their whole world away because they got upset over one issue that was an open-handed issue. But all the closed-handed issues, they just threw it all away. For instance, a person can, can find support like in a, in a community like ours, and it's, I'm not necessarily just talking about ours here, but it happens everywhere around the world within the church where people can have such a wonderful support system. People can have people love on them and everything. For 10 years, even pay their bills, support them in so many ways. Let there be one offense. <laughs> one offense. I'm out. You know, it's funny. Like, um, I, I've even experienced this where you would be on the same page regarding all doctrine, all doctrine. And you walk through the Bible with somebody and you get to like, let's say, you get to, true story for me, you get to like Revelation. And this person is, I know the Pope is the beast, he's the Antichrist. I'm like, well, actually, Jesus said the Antichrist has always been, What? Gone. They had to find another church that would agree with them on who the Antichrist is. <laughs> I said, lady, you might just be the Antichrist. <laughs> Come on now. Can't make distinctions between what is important and what is essential. Knowing the difference between open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. How about this one? The difference between orthodoxy and heresy. And here's the purpose of discernment to pre protect us from being deceived. Starting in the Garden of Eden, deception is rampant. It started then and it hasn't stopped. And discernment is there to protect you from it. 
Eve had no discernment. So our foundational text for today is 1 Thessalonians 5.21. The Bible says, But examine everything, hold firmly to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So here Paul, the apostle, is commanding us and exhorting us to examine what? Everything. And to hold on to that which passes the test. Examine, and if it passes the test, hold on to it. But let go of everything that fails that test. And if there's one thing that has weakened and, and eaten away at the church over the decades and centuries, it is this inability of discerning, or you might say the inability of judging. Because people have come up with this idea that Jesus only said one thing. He came from heaven to earth and said this one thing. Do not judge. That's all I know Jesus ever said. And that's the only thing they will ever hold on to. And people, I, I don't know how many times this has happened to me over and over and over again. When, when I say something and somebody goes, stop judging. And I'm like, hey, why are you judging me? <laughs> Man, they are so judgmental with that verse, aren't they? Well, if you take that verse in context, you'll find that Jesus was actually saying, judge the right way. Don't judge somebody else's splinter in their, in their eye when you have a plank sticking out of your own eye. Don't judge like that, all right? Uh, in other words, don't hold people to standards that you yourself aren't holding. And so if there's one thing that has weakened the church is that they've lost this idea of judging because there's a second verse, as a matter of fact, that Jesus came down from heaven to say, and that is, I love you. So don't judge anybody, and I love you. <laughs> that's kind of like, the, like their theology, and that's the, that's the total amount of theology they have. But the church has lost everything else when it comes to theology, and that's why the church has been eaten with a cancer from within. This inability to judge or this inability to discern, same word. If you cannot judge the difference between things, it's because you're not discerning the difference between two things. So here MacArthur said, quote, Throughout history, the lack of discernment has contributed more harm to the church than all the persecution combined. And here's why this is true. Because while persecution purifies and refines the church, Lack of discernment, on the other hand, has invited sin. It didn't purify church with sin. It invited tolerance. If you know Revelation, you will know that Jesus warned the church and said, here is where you are going wrong. You're doing a lot of good things. But let me tell you this I have against you. You are too tolerant. You are tolerant. You tolerate that woman Jezebel and all that she is bringing into the church. You tolerate her, and you have to repent. So we have a church today that's, that's marshmallow. I love how Doug Wilson calls it, evangelifish. <laughs> and <laughs> it's pretty much Christianity. They can't discern, therefore they can't judge, but what they would do instead was just tolerate and invite everybody in because they love and they think that they are morally superior by doing that. When in fact Jesus warned them and said, I will take your candlestick 
from you if you don't repent. A church lacking discernment is definitely Satan's goal. <laughs> uh, if Satan ever had a goal in Eve, it would, that, it would be that she lacked discernment, that she would say, liar, what are you doing here? But instead what he said, he came to her and he said, didn't God say? He brought her the word. These ministers of righteousness. He brought her the word. Did God not say? And what he needed for her, he needed for her to lack discernment. And what Satan needs from the church today he needs the church to lack discernment because when they lack discernment, they lack judgment. And when they lack judgment, they embrace just about anything. A church lacking in discernment is, of course, Satan's goal. He's the father of lies. And he deceives us how? By coming as an angel of light. So let me say this. Not recognizing not recognizing the angel of light to be Satan is a failure to discern. Discernment is probably way more important than what we have ever imagined it to be. Scripture is emphatic about this. Scripture warns us of doctrines of demons, of destructive heresies, of myths, of perverse teachings, commandments of men, speculations, deceitful spirits, worldly fables, false knowledge, empty philosophies, traditions of men, worldly wisdom. All of those, all of those cannot be identified unless you have discernment. You couldn't discern any. You couldn't identify anything to be a myth if you didn't have discernment. You can identify anything to be a doctrine of demon if you didn't have discernment. In other words, if you didn't know the scriptures to measure that doctrine by. You wouldn't know false knowledge. You wouldn't know empty philosophies. You wouldn't know worldly wisdom. You wouldn't know any of this unless you had scriptures to measure all these things by. In other words, what I'm saying is without discernment, you would probably fall for each and every single one of these. It almost seems that warning against deception is on every single page in the scriptures. For instance, Jesus said wolves come in sheep's clothing. Paul said wolves would come in and would not spare the flock. Paul wrote to Timothy and said that as the age goes on, evil men would get worse and worse and worse and worse. As a matter of fact, they will become inventors of evil. In Matthew 16, verse 1 and 4, there's this great example of Jesus um, just rebuking these guys for not having discernment. Watch this quick. It says in verse 1, The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and putting Jesus to the test... They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. How many people are in search of a sign today? Oh, Jesus, just give me a sign. They have to attend, uh, they have to attend uh, crusades with miracles and healings and everything because this is where... This is where people's faith is lifted because they see a sign. This is where the unsaved friend will come to Christ because they see a sign. They're looking for a sign to know that this man is anointed. So they're looking for signs. That's what it's saying. Show me a sign from heaven. Number two, verse two. But he replied to them. Watch this. 
When it is evening, you say, it will be fair, fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a, uh, quote, there will be a stormy day today for the sky is red and threatening. You know, how to discern, you know how to discern appearances of the sky, but you are unable to discern the signs of the times, question mark. An evil and adulterous generation wants a sign. And so a sign will not be given to it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. You might ask, okay, well, what is the sign of Jonah? If you read further there, it'll explain it very clearly. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth, in other words, in the grave, three days and three nights. And therefore, His death, His burial, and His resurrection will be the only sign you get. That's why when the guy goes, he's in, he's in Hades, and he says, just please send, send Lazarus up to go and tell my brothers and warn them. This, they don't want to come here. And he goes, if they don't listen to the prophets and to Moses, they won't even listen to a, a person who, who rises from the dead. What I'm saying to you is that nobody believes because they see a sign. Nobody does truly believe. Faith doesn't come from seeing signs. Faith comes from hearing the word. It's the faith of Christ we get when we hear the word of God. So that was the sign of Noah, but watch this. He said, he said that the, the problem is simple. He says that your limited, primitive, non-scientific ability to tell the weather, like, oh, the sky's red. It's going to be a hot day tomorrow. Or in the morning, the sky's red. We're going to see a lot of storm today, a big storm today. He says your limited, primitive, non-scientific ability to tell the weather is greater than your spiritual discernment. What you are bad at doing is much better than even discerning the things of God. Jesus was telling them that they have no ability to discern the truth, which is Christ Himself. Jonah, the sign. Even with the sign of Jonah, they were going to reject Him anyway. He's talking to the Pharisees right, and the Sadducees. Even when you get the sign of Jonah... Even that sign of me rising from the dead will not be sufficient for you. So, they had zero ability to discern Him as being the Messiah that they were waiting for. No ability. They've been waiting for Him, preaching, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, and they still couldn't see Him. They couldn't discern. So, let's uh, return to our founding text of today and draw, uh, draw out from it the meaning that God gave us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21... It says, but examine everything. Examine everything. The word examine here means to test. You see, Paul commands us to exercise discernment by testing everything, measuring everything with a ruler, but that ruler being the Scriptures, to see if it's genuine, if it's true, if it's false, if it's right, if it's wrong, if it's good, if it's evil. This term examine everything could also be accurately translated as test everything, or judge everything, or evaluate everything. And the person who has no discernment is the person who uses broken measuring sticks to determine if something is godly or not. 
What are these broken measuring sticks that they measure with? They say the person who uses a broken, broken measuring stick to measure truth by is the one that will say things like, it feels good to me, that's why I believe it. It makes me feel good. Family, life is not about being happy. I hope you know this. Life is all about glorifying God with the time you have, right? If, if your idea of, love, of life is to be happy, you're in for a big surprise. <laughs> if you would put that aside and you would live for God's glory, you will find even in hard times, you're still filled with joy. But if happiness is the thing you're looking for, it's like, it's like that cartoon, you know, back in the day when they had, the video just came out and somebody would play the piano and the guy would, um, Charlie Chapman is the guy's name, excuse me. It was, he had this scene where he was chasing after a hat. I don't know if you saw this. It was one of those top hats and it was in front of him and he would walk up to the hat and as he walks up to the hat, his right foot kicks it and it goes forward. And then he runs off to, and, it, and just as he's about to pick it up, his right foot kicks it again and he keeps running off to this hat that he keeps kicking it away. The whole world went to go see the show. <laughs> if you think about it, how far movies have come. But that's exactly the picture that, that you must have. If, if your idea for marriage was happiness, if your idea for uh, um, life is happiness, it, you, you will, that thing will keep on getting away from you. You will never find it. You will have the most miserable life. And I'm prophesying to you right now. Your life will be so stinking miserable. And you know what? You deserve it. Because you're living for yourself. You ought to be living for God. And not even care about picking up that hat. And guess what? You glorifying God will be so fulfilling. You'll be so filled with joy. Even if fires are burning everywhere around you. It's like, oh, praise God, God is good. Look at what's going on. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God even in the midst of a trial. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God even if nobody else, everybody else is asking like, hey, where was God on 9-11? I see the hand of God. Where's God in this culture today? I know, <laughs> He's everywhere, trust me. What you're seeing is in fact Him revealed in His wrath. That's what you see. God is revealed in many ways, but you have to just recognize that that is Him. The person who has no discernment, that uses broken measuring sticks to determine whether something is right or wrong, godly or, or ungodly, good or evil, is a person that will say things like, my mom says it's true, so it must be. Or, this is what I, this is what I have always believed, so that's why I believe it's true. Or, as long as it works for me, it's true for me. It's my truth. I believe this because most people say it's true. All those statements are made by people that don't know how to discern. You see, the way to examine everything is to make sure that everything is measured by the Scriptures you know. Not the Scriptures you think you know. If something you are about to do violates a scripture, your conscience should immediately arrest you. Your heart should smite you. This is how you know. 
This is how you know you can discern. Is when you walk through your day, you bark at your wife, and you know you have to go back and apologize. I just can't. My heart won't let me not apologize. I have to go and apologize now. Now you know. You know how to discern. Steve, you didn't put the heat on, did you? No, okay. <laughs> this is called sacrifice, Tony, just so you know. I'm not living for myself here, just so you know. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> I thought I was back into, what was it? Was it Thursday? Lord knows. How did we get through Thursday? Wowzers. <laughs> they wouldn't let me go. They wouldn't let me walk around the mall without a shirt. So I just. <laughs> so I went home and sat in front of my air conditioner. <laughs> so you know that you know how to discern when, in fact, your heart just smites you every time you violate a scripture. And you usually violate a scripture not because you do it exactly straight against God. No, you, you violate a scripture by how you treat those around you. You violate scriptures by how you abdicate your responsibilities. You violate the scriptures by how you harbor things in your heart that you ought not. Or you allow your mind to go to places where it should not. Right? Whenever your internal mechanisms do things contrary to scripture, your heart should condemn you. Your heart should smite you, strike you. Your conscience should go like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> but if your conscience doesn't do that, guess what? you got some work to do. It's called Gracegate Bible School, all right? It's called church. It's called, it's called Bible reading challenge. It's called right relationships. you got to take responsibility for those things. But you can't imagine your conscience to function perfectly while the only thing you do is watch movies, hang with the wrong people, and scroll. <laughs> scroll through uh, everybody else's thoughts on Facebook. That is not how you build a conscience. That's not how you inform your conscience. <clears throat> the next portion, he says... Hold firmly to that which is good. Hold firmly to that which is good. The term hold firmly here means to hold fast, to embrace wholeheartedly, to take possession of for yourself. Hold firmly to that which is good. And then he says in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. The word abstain is, the very, is a very strong word here, and it means to hold oneself away from. I'm holding myself away from. I'm pushing myself away from. Pull or rip yourself away from or out of something. To shun that which is evil. Throw it away as far as you can. You know how when you have a Band-Aid on your arm and there was like real strong glue on the Band-Aid, how do you take it off? Slowly? No, you rip that thing. And then you scream for a moment and then it's over, right? That's how you break a bad relationship. If, you, if you're dating and you're in the wrong relationship, that's how you end it. Trash can. You don't hold that thing on your... You don't put that <laughs> band-aid 
on your end table. No, you don't. You just throw it in the trash, right? That's how you end things. And this is what he's encouraging you to do, to abstain from every form of evil. In other words, to pull yourself away, rip yourself from it, and to shun that thing that is causing you to violate the very will of God. The word evil, abstain from every evil, the word evil here means two things. It has a primary and a secondary meaning. Oftentimes when you think evil, you think about, they think of a demon with horns, right? And a little tail with a pitchfork. That's not, you know, Sam Smith is not Satan. He's only, he's only a result of Satan's work, right? That's not, that's not what demonic is right here. Evil right here is primary and secondarily. I'll first mention secondarily is abstain from every evil is moral perversion. Moral perversion. In other words, the Word of God is in fact a compilation of all of God's thoughts from cover to cover. This is what God thinks. And when you think contrary to it, that's a moral perversion because this compilation of God's thoughts is in fact called God's moral will. Don't let, <clears throat> don't let Hollywood tell you what is moral and what is immoral. Putting gasoline in your car is not an immoral thing. Breaking a scripture is immoral because this is the moral will of God, right? So the word evil here secondarily means moral perversion. In other words, you pervert, you pervert uh, um, a morality expressed to you by the word of God. And secondarily, which is the worst evil, uh, but it's the primary evil, let me say it that way. The primary evil here is the perversion of God's truth. The perversion of God's truth. Twisting God's scriptures. What Satan did is the is primary means of evil. Twisting what God has said. Did God not say, you shall not eat? Yeah, he did. He didn't really he didn't really mean that you will die. He just doesn't want you to be like he is. That's a twisting of what God said. Importing a different meaning into God's statement. <clears throat> the term every form means kind, sort, species, or shape. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain. You can leave that scripture up there or follow me with the scriptures if you don't mind. Abstain from every, abstain from every form of evil. That was verse 22. So this term, every form, means every kind, every sort, every species, every shape. He is saying every kind of evil, abstain from it. Once you've discerned it, walk away from it, pluck it off, rip it off, throw it away. Don't be a part of it. This verse therefore calls, uh, uh, calls us to discernment. Because how could you do all of that if you didn't recognize it to be evil? Discernment is not that deep knowledge and the deep insight that a person may have by which they, they have this subjective emotional voice bubbling up within them and, and this spiritual superpower where I know what's going on. That's not necessarily what biblical discernment is referring to. It's like when somebody has, they, they have this extra biblical 
knowledge exclusive to them about you. That's not, that's not biblical discernment. And there's a reason for it. <clears throat> because that kind of discernment can very easily lead a person to become um, superior, spiritually superior in their own minds. They can become very judgy because they're the ones walking around determining whether somebody has the right motive or the wrong motive. Do you know that there's... Uh, let me just quickly qualify judgment for you. Do not judge. What is this? This is when I look at you and I say, you have the wrong motive, but I have no proof of it because what I am doing is I'm judging your heart. Now, Jesus did say what you ought to do is you have to judge somebody's fruits. You have to say like, ah, these, these are weeds. Those are thorns. That's, that's an orange. That's a pear. That's a, you, can, you are supposed to, you know them by their fruits. You are supposed to discern the fruit and say, oh yeah, I know what kind of tree this is. It's got thorns on it. Guess what? Oh, I know what kind of tree this is. It must be a pear tree because it's got so many apples. No, nobody does that, right? You judge the external, but you may not. Judge not. Somebody's motive. Can't do it. But the person who believes that discernment is this subjective, Gnostic version of an extra-biblical truth exclusive to them about other people, they walk around, and they aren't judging people's fruits. They are judging people's minds, people's motives, people's hearts. So that's not what it is. It makes them judgy, and it makes them, they put themselves into a superior position above others. Don't do that. It's not good for relationships. Nobody wants to be around the person who's judgy. Nobody wants to be with you when all you do is, I see things. I used to be so caught up in that stuff. Then before I used to have to, I was called to the pastor's house, and I always believed he had this discerning power. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, please forgive me for this and for that, for the other thing. And please, Jesus, forgive me. I promise you will never, as I'm driving to his house. And then I'm ringing the doorbell and I can't look him in the eyes. And I'm like, oh, he's, he's discerning everything about my life, everything I thought, everything I did, everything. You know, that is not discernment. So what, what happens is, and I know, the, I know the whole game, if you see somebody's like that, then you go like, hey, what's going on? Tell me all about it. God showed me something about you. Like, yeah, well, what I did was I did this. You know, what? No, that's not, how, that's not how it ought to work. That's manipulation, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's what that is. Jesus said, judge people's fruits. You don't judge their motives. You don't judge their hearts. God knows the heart. Man looks on the outside. He designed it that way. I know some will disagree with me, but I'd like you to please just hold your peace and think through it long enough, and I think that you will one day be right as I am about it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just discerning. <laughs> so no, discernment is the ability God gives you. He gives you this ability. What is this ability? To use the scripture you know and you accurately interpret it as a measuring device to measure distinctions between things. Distinction, to be able to measure your own conversation that you've had. I mean, just the other day, I walked away and I thought, you know what, really, I just gossiped. I can't believe it. I just gossiped. <laughs> it's just, and you know what? Your heart won't let you. It'll, it'll keep holding you accountable. And it'll keep telling you, repent, don't do that, because you know scriptures. 
It is this thing God gives you, this ability God gives you to use Scripture as a measuring stick or as a measuring device to, to measure assumed truths, especially in culture, statements made, or ideologies propagated. So the reason discernment is such an important subject is because throughout history, especially now, we see the church drifting into error and drifting into error. Well, how do they do that? Watch this. By rejecting doctrine. It's too divisive. We want to be united. Is that what God called you to? Only if you know scriptures could you answer that question. <laughs> rejecting doctrine for the sake of embracing relationships. I'll give my favorite example. Lauren Daigle, rejecting, gospel, uh, rejecting doctrine because, you know, I know, I know homosexual marriages that are, they're, they're wonderful people. Rejecting doctrine, embracing relationships instead. You have to learn that truth is more important than people. Rejecting doctrine for the sake of embracing relationship. Imagine Samson did exactly that. What did that do for him? Left him weak, left him blind, left him enslaved. God gave us a pattern to show us where that leads. How did the church, how is the church drifting because of this? Well, be, becoming fascinated with entertainment and bored with scriptural exposition. This church is boring. That church is exciting. How did the church drift? Becoming enamored with feelings while trivializing factual logic, biblical reasoning, and doctrinal truths. So when you consider the state of the church and the state of our culture, we will unanimously agree that our time cries out for men and women with discernment. That is what we need today in the world. That is what we need today in every area of life. In our education system, we need people with discernment. Uh, parents need discernment. Married couples need discernment. The church needs discernment. The government needs discernment. Because the amount of deception that's out there is destroying marriages, parenting. It's destroying families. It's destroying communities and churches and even a nation. God's men and women of this day will be men and women of discernment. Who do we need today? Somebody with discernment. A Solomon. You see, the 500 years of darkness in the Middle Ages came to an end when what happened? When brave men, called the Reformers, started discerning right from wrong and spoke out against it. That's how the world was pulled out of the Dark Ages, other than coffee. That's what happened. <laughs> Because coffee was invented at the same time. Men and women who will be used by God in this ever-darkening age will be those with discernment. So I need to end today with clearly outlining what I want to call the relational discernment checklist. I think every one of us need a relational discernment checklist, don't you? Here it is. Because you, you have to know who to believe, right? So who has discernment? Which person has discernment? The one who changes his doctrine because he learns something new from Scripture. Or should you believe the person 
who refuses to learn anything new from Scripture because he refuses to change his personal views. Don't show me that verse. I already know what I believe. <laughs> who do you believe? The person who reads the Bible and changes because of it? Or the one who refuses to study the Bible because he's already decided he's not going to change? Who do you believe? Who has discernment? Who can decide? Who can point to wrong from right, good from evil? The one who's always willing to say, I got no stake in the ground. The scripture is my stake. That's where I go. And I've been wrong 20 years. I'm going to now change because I just saw something. That's the person you can trust. You can't trust a person that, that holds on to everything they've ever believed. What does that mean? Does that mean you've always known everything? You've always known everything. Actually, Tina and I had an opportunity to talk to Pastor Doug Wilson's wife. And it was so interesting. Um, um, Nancy Wilson, and I said to her, just so you know, Nancy, one of the things we really love about you guys is how Pastor Doug has throughout his life, he's changed his position so many times. You know, he used to be a premillennial and uh, now he's a post-millennial. He used to be Evangelifish. Now he's, now he's a Calvinist, a high Calvinist. Now he's, yeah, he keeps on changing his position every time he learns something new about scriptures. And I love that. I love that about somebody. And I said to her, you know, um, <clears throat> because, and I said it just like that. I said, why? Because those who can't change, what are they telling me? That they've always known absolutely everything and that they've never grown and they've never learned anything. That's what, that's what that tells me. Anyway, um, she says, well, that, yeah, thank you so much for that. And right then they said, please sit down, everyone. And we all sat down, took our seats, and they moved on to the next, to the next speaker. And the next speaker actually took a dig at Pastor Doug. He was a, uh, a professor from California. And he says, you know, uh, I want to tell you that I kind of, I kind of value consistency. Uh, if, somebody's consistent, if, if somebody's consistently inconsistent, you know, that's a problem. I'm like, wow, that is so funny. He, he, calls, he calls stubbornness consistency. Ain't the same thing. Pride and consistency is not the same thing. You have to be humble to change, otherwise there's no growth. Have you ever noticed anything that grows changes? So who is the one with discernment? The person who reads his Bible and changes or the one who refuses to read his Bible because he already believes he knows everything and he's unwilling to change anyhow? Number two. The one who holds firmly to his faith that he grew up in and never changes or the one who holds firmly to his God because that is who his faith is actually in, not his tradition. Or number three, the one who feels a truth or the one who reads a truth. Who do you believe is more discerning? You want friends that can change because they see scriptures. You want people in your life that, that knows a truth, not because they feel it, because they read it. <laughs> That's how I know something is true. I read it. Then I don't ask, what does it mean to me? I ask, what is it saying? What is it saying? How about the one who points you to scriptures or the one who points you to their favorite TV preacher? Or how about the one who digs to discover the ancient historical Christianity or the one who loves his modern progressive faith anyway? I'm happy. My church does it for me. I'm good. You know, we're, we're all happy. We're doing well. Or, hey, you know what? Teach me how to better study the Word. I want to know. One of the greatest attributes of any one person, especially married people, 
is the ability to change. Let me rather say this, the willingness and the ability to change. Can I change, become a better husband today than I was yesterday? Can I change, become a better pastor, minister today than what I was yesterday? Can I change and become a better parent today than what I was yesterday? How do I know this way is better and not that way? Because I'm able to discern. Let me finish with this verse. My, my second and final closing. Hebrews chapter 5, 14. But solid food is for the mature. Have you ever noticed an immature orange tree? Now let me say it this way. How do you know a tree, an orange tree has matured? It has, thank you, it's bearing fruit. That's how you know you have matured. You are bearing spiritual fruit. You can discern between immaturity and maturity by looking at the fruit, right? But not just yourself, but also others. And here he says, but solid food is for the mature, those who are bearing fruit. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. How do you train your power of discernment? Do you go to your feelings? Do you go to subjective ideas? Do you go to your past experiences? No, you go to scriptures. Those who have the discernment trained by constant practice. Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food is for those people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you have that you draw us to your word, that you bind our consciences to your word. Father, that our consciences will be informed by scriptures, not by culture, not by past experiences, but by scriptures, not by opinions, not by feelings, but by scriptures, Lord, so that we can call things for what they are, good, evil, right, wrong. I thank you, Father, that we are able to do that because you have empowered us with your truth not ours, in Jesus' name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen.